Where were you? 8.03 local time, exactly 15 years ago today. Where were you? Some of you weren't even here. Michaela's nine years old. She wasn't here. Luke, you're not 15 yet, are you? No, you're not, you weren't here. Some don't remember because they were too young. Maybe they were born, but they were not old enough to remember anything. Well, I would suggest to you this afternoon that for the most of us, that, that moment is etched into our memory more indelibly than a deep scratch on a brand new car. Where were you? What were you doing? I remember I was getting ready for the office. We lived just beside the church building at Atwood, and so I hadn't gone over yet. Marlene was home from school that day, and so she was there with me. Now you remember those things. You remember things that happened on the days afterwards. You remember. Let me ask you a question. Where were you on at 8.03 a.m. on September 10th, 2001? Can you remember? Can you remember what you were doing? Can you remember anything about that particular day? Probably not. Probably don't remember exactly what you were doing or anything about it because there are just some things that you always remember. You know, as the time went by, things began to happen and, and people began to look into their life and to see some things that needed to change and, and they thought that they would always remember. Several years after the events of September 11, 2001, the city of Atwood was looking to buy a truck that we could use for a rescue vehicle. And through the contacts that we had, we made uh, uh, a contact with a person up in Baltimore, Maryland, and found a vehicle that we could use. Tommy, uh, well, you won't know him, but uh, one, of the, one of the men who was with us, uh, one of our, our assistant chief and I flew up to Baltimore and uh, we went out and we visited with a man. He, uh, of course, uh, sold a lot of the vehicles that were there and, and got to meet this gentleman and found out that he was one of the fire captains who was in the command post at the Pentagon. And the vehicle that we were looking at happened to be one of the vehicles that was used at the Pentagon. And so as we purchased that vehicle and brought it home, we decided that we would have all of the lettering done, and one of the things that we would put on the back was this unit was uh, served the Pentagon on 9-11-01. It wasn't because we were proud of having that vehicle, but it was because everybody wanted somebody to remember something that happened back then. There are indeed some things that we will always remember. And there are some things that we should always remember. And especially when we think about days such as that one, events that took place, things that happened, events not only of the day, but of things that happened afterwards, I believe there are some things that we need to remember, should always remember. And I want to look at a couple of them this afternoon, and then I will suggest some more things that perhaps we have learned and I'll talk about that more at the end of our lesson. 
But as we think about the things that we should remember in relation to events such as 9-11 and other things like that, here are a couple. Number one, I suggest to you that we need to remember that God is always in control. As Christians, we should never forget that God is always in control. On that night, that Tuesday night of September 11th, the congregation there at Atwood decided that we would have a special prayer meeting that night, and they asked me, the elders there asked me to speak. And a couple of the things that I'll mention today are things that I mentioned that night, and this is one of them. God is in control. And as I began that lesson, I said, you know, I want to read a passage to you that we had just read just a few weeks before. I had just preached on this passage not many weeks before, and so I began the lesson by saying, you know, here's something that I want to remind us of that we just talked about. I want to read this verse to you again because now perhaps it has more meaning than it did when we looked at it before. It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, and we'll read through it very quickly this afternoon. The Bible says at the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for my glory and my majesty? Here's the king of Babylon who's looking out over his kingdom and said, look what I have done. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, I've done it with my own hand. I'm the one who's in control. I have everything under my power. I am the one who takes care of my kingdom and my subjects, and and everyone has to look up to me. The Bible continues on and says, while the words were still on the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And he goes on and says in verse number 32, for some reason I'm not clicking there, Randall. In verse number 32, And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. King Nebuchadnezzar said, it's all me. God said, wait a moment. While you're, while, I mean, he had, the voice hadn't even quieted down yet. And God said, hang on just a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar, it's not you, it's me. God rules, or the Most High rules, in the kingdom of men. We need to always remember that point. Think about another thing that's taught in the Word of God, another passage that we find in the book of Job, chapter 12, verse 23. There Job makes this statement in talking about God. He makes nations great, and He destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Those are Job's words saying God is in control. God has everything in His hands. You know, whether it's in tragedy or triumph, God still oversees 
his creation. He's still looking down. He sees what's going on, and he knows. And somebody said that fear, whenever we look at things around us and we begin to fear, fear may say something like this, well, it's all over, and there's no way out, so just bury with me with my boots on. But then faith comes along and it has a different answer. It says something else. It says that I don't know what God is going to do and I don't know how, but I know God has it all under control. And I'm certain that we need to always remember that point. You know, we wonder what's going to happen to our nation We're facing a presidential election and we look and we see all of the things that are in the news. We see the ungodliness that our nation has come to. We see the violence that is uh, taking place on our streets. We see the lawlessness of people and the disrespect for law and all of the things that, that, that that we look at and witness on a daily basis. And we say, what is going to happen to us? And so we ask, you know, how are we ever going to pull out of this? What are we going to do? Well, the question really is not what are we going to do, but what is God going to do? You see, God still rules in the affairs, the kingdoms of men. And God sometimes uses nations that are more wicked than the one that he's punishing to punish them other nations. If you don't believe that, come back on Wednesday night as we continue our study in the book of Habakkuk. It's like reading from the newspaper when you read from that book. And so when we look at it and we think about it, we need to remember God is in control. You know, that means something in my life. It doesn't just mean that he is looking out at Washington, D.C., or Montgomery, Alabama, or any other nation, or any other capital city. It doesn't just mean that he's looking at, the, at that big picture, but God sees me. I want you to remember three things about God. We, we used to hear these words, they're big words, words that we don't normally use, but they're words that describe God, and I think we need to remember those words, or at least remember what they mean. We need to remember that God is omniscient. That means that God knows everything there is to know, everything that can be known. And God knows that. God is omniscient. And so when God is omniscient, any question that I might have, anything that might confront me, that I I need an answer to it, you see, God can answer the most trying question that we can ever ask. Because God knows everything. God is omniscient. But secondly, not only is God omniscient, God is omnipotent. That just means that God has all power. There's nobody who is stronger than God. There's nobody who can do more than God. God said, let there be light. And in a universe or in a expanse of darkness where there was no light, guess what happened? The lights came on. And God continued to speak, and this earth as we know it began to take shape. The universe as we know it began to take shape. 
because the all-powerful God could do it. And so when we think about God being omnipotent, He's strong enough to help us and to overcome any obstacle that may be in our way. What problem do you have in your life? What are you struggling with, perhaps on a, a daily basis? What is it that you don't know, that, that you don't have an answer to, and you don't know if you can get through that? What is it? I don't know. It may be something today, and it may be something different tomorrow. But I do know that God can help us overcome any obstacle because He is powerful enough. He is strong enough. He has enough might to help us overcome any obstacle that we might have in our life. But then thirdly, not only is God omniscient and omnipotent, but God is omnipresent. That just means God is everywhere all the time. I don't understand how God can do that. You know, I have a hard time just keeping up with me, and God is keeping up with over 7 billion me's. He's keeping up with over 7 billion people, plus all of the other things, the animals. There's not a bird that falls out of the sky that God doesn't know it. Not even the smallest of birds that God doesn't know. We're not talking about just eagles, you know, those big birds. We're talking about sparrows that God knows when they fall. When you pluck a whisker from your brow, from your face, God knows the number that you have left. He's all-knowing, but He's also everywhere. No matter where you were to do that, on the face of this earth, no matter if you dug as deep as you could possibly get without coming out the other side of the earth, God would still be there. And so that means something to me. Wherever you go, God is there to help you with your answers. God is there to help you with your obstacles that you have in your life. And so today, as we think about some things that happened a long, long time ago, we need to be remembering that God is always in control. There's a passage of Scripture found in the book of Hebrews that, that I really like. Quoted often, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If God is my helper, who can beat me? Who can overcome me? Who can steal the soul that I have? God is with me. You see, it's that omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God who is with me in everything that I face in life. And so whether it would be a terrorist event or whether it would be a, um, a Katrina or an April 27th where the tornadoes come through or a family crisis or a health crisis or whatever it may be, God is smart enough and strong enough 
and always present enough to help me. Always remember that. As a Christian, we must never forget it. But then secondly today, I want us to think about, especially when we see events like the one that took place 15 years ago and and even those that have taken place more recently, we need to remember that it's not God who causes tragedies. And you might put that word causes in uh, quotation marks if you want to. It's not God who causes tragedies. Look at Job chapter 6 at verse number 4. I put it on the screen for you so that you could see it. Job chapter 6 at verse 4 says, For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Now this is what Job was saying. We talk about the patience of Job and how he did not sin with his mouth and and, and all of the things that the Bible has to say about him, but this is what he said about God. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. They're poison arrows. The Lord is terrorizing me. It's not the only place he said it. If you go to chapter 19, verse 21... He is begging his friends. He says, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on you, O you, my friends. For the hand of God has touched me. Job is making those statements. He's making the accusation. But Job did not have the backstory, did he? Job had not read Job chapters 1 and 2, had he? Job was living it but he did not have the privilege of seeing into heaven and knowing what was going on like we do. You see, God put those at the beginning of the book so that we could know something about suffering and the cause of it. It wasn't because Job was a wicked man. He was a righteous man. He was an upright man, the Bible says. And depending upon the translation that you're reading from, the Bible says perfect in all of his ways. Doesn't mean that he'd never sinned. But he was doing his dead level best to be what God wanted him to be every single day. And he wanted his children to be that way. And he even sacrificed for them just in case they forgot to do that. They missed one. And we know that it was Satan who was allowed by God to inflict all of the things upon Job that happened to him. It wasn't that God wanted those things to happen to them, to to Job, but it was Satan doing his best to get Job to renounce God. To turn his back on God. To leave God behind and join his forces. And he'll do the same thing for you and me. And he does it every single day of our life. Sometimes God gets blamed for the things that he doesn't do. That's what was happening with Job. And sometimes it happens with us. Have you ever heard someone who has lost perhaps a child make a statement that's similar to this? God took 
my baby. God took my baby. God gets blamed for a lot of things that God didn't do. You know, God created man so that he would be what we, mankind, has termed a free moral agent. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that God made man so that he could make a choice. The choice may be right, the choice may be wrong, but God made man so that he could make a choice. One writer described God's action in the free moral agency of man and making man the way that he did in this way. He said, God voluntarily limited his own sovereignty by drawing a circle around an area of life, making man responsible for it, and refusing ever to intrude upon it. This encircled sacred area he placed completely in the hands of men. He did this because he knew of no other way man could grow to spiritual maturity. You see, God left it so that we could choose. So that we could choose and grow closer to Him. He did not make us robots. He did not make it so that we had no choice. He made it so that we had every choice. Now, you know what happens when you get the opportunity to do that? You take risk. If you put a car in the hands of a 15 or 16-year-old child, you give them the keys to the car, you don't do that without risk. They can never get behind the wheel without risk. And you know something? Unless they run over a few curbs, they probably will never become a safe driver. You've got to make some mistakes along the way. And that's what happens with mankind. There are some results of this free moral agency. Some of them are called accidents. Accidents. Because man chooses to be careless sometimes, accidents happen. If you're not watching where you're going, what might you do? Run over something. Have you all seen these uh, clips of people who are walking in malls and other places? Some of them look to be staged. Some of them, you, you can just see them happening. And they're walking around with their cell phone. And they're texting. You know, they got both thumbs going, and they'll walk into a pole. Or they'll walk into a pool. Or they'll do something crazy because they're not paying attention to what they're doing. That's the way it happens sometimes. And even sometimes when we think that we are paying attention, we still have an accident. That's because we sometimes don't make the choices that we need to make. But a second result of the free moral agency of man is evil. Evil results because man has the opportunity to make his own decisions. And when evil results, there are some consequences of evil, right? There are some consequences of it. People die. Somebody said, well, why didn't God stop the terrorists 15 years ago or in Paris or in Florida or in California or New York or wherever they may be? Why didn't God stop the terrorists? Well, God simply 
will not give us the freedom to get into trouble and then take that freedom away long enough to bail us out. He just doesn't work that way. That's not the way he did it. Likely that would produce a race of spoiled brats. You know what happens when a parent always bails their child out? The child does not learn responsibility. If we're always there hovering over them to, to, to make sure that their life is all smooth and there are no bumps in it, and they never have to take responsibility for what they're doing, you're raising a, a foolish child. God doesn't do that. He allows us to make the mistakes so that we can learn from them. He's not there to bail us out, make a spoiled brat out of us. You see, that brings not God, no glory. We need to remember that God gave us this, but we have the responsibility to use it wisely. And therefore, try to make the best decisions that we possibly can. Decisions that are for good and for right. Decisions to hopefully avoid the accidents, if at all possible, but recognizing that sometimes we will make them, but when we do, we, we straighten things out and we get, we get up and we go again, if possible. There are some consequences of evil, just as there are consequences of making the decisions as well. And so when we go back to 15 years ago, God didn't cause the collapse of the towers. God didn't kill the people in the nightclub or the people at work. God didn't do that. Man did, and men must be willing to accept the consequences of their actions. Our society has come to the point that it refuses in many, many cases to acknowledge that evil exists. That sinfulness and sinful actions exist. And until we learn the lesson that God taught us all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we have nothing but worse consequences to reap. God's always in control. And God takes care of us. But, <clears throat> Mark Posey, many of you may know him, he preaches for the Austinville Congregation. He is the son of Glenn Posey, who I know a lot of you know. But Mark sent out a little email this past week. He said, here's a sermon starter that you might use for today since it was uh, the anniversary of 9-11. And Mark wrote a few comments. He said, uh, in reflection of that tragic day in American history, what have we learned as a nation, as a family, as a church? And then he said, consider just a few. Well, here are four or five things that he mentions. He said, number one, life is precious. You know, in a world filled with racism and abortion and hatred of all kind, we as God's people need to stress the sanctity of life and remind folks that life is indeed precious. When you lose it or you lose someone that you love, you begin to recognize the fact that life is precious. Number two, time is fleeting. That's the second thing that Mark lists. 
Every moment of every day is important. If we let the cares of the world overtake us, if we allow the things of life to to cloud the, the vision that we have, if we let it steal the moments that we have in our life, rather than being able to see the bigger picture, we'll lose sight of what really is good and right and what we need. Time is fleeting. Every moment, every moment is important to us because we never know when that will be our last. Thirdly, faith is powerful. This good audience tonight, I, or this afternoon, we probably don't have to say a lot about faith, how powerful it truly is. We understand the need for faith in God, faith in His Word, faith in our life. Next, love is needed. That's number four on Mark's list. He, he makes the statement, he said, uh, the world is starving for love. Would you agree with that? There's so many people out here in the world who are starving for love. But did you read what First um, uh, John chapter 4, verse 8 said? God is love. If the world is star- starving for love and God is love, guess what? The world is starving for God. One thing that's equal to another, y'all know the logic, the world is starving for God. Who has God in their lives? We do. We do. The world is starving for God. Last of all, hope is strong. Hope is strong enough to anchor our soul in the rough seas of life and in the calm waters. Hope. Without hope, what do we have? Our hope lies in Christ, right? Our hope is to be found in Him. He is our hope, Paul said. As we close our lesson this afternoon... I should put that in the form of a question. Is Christ your hope? We could go back. Do you love Christ? Is your faith in Him? You know, we could keep going if we needed to. But if we ask those in those, that form, it may cause you to think, I need Christ in my life. I need to become a Christian. I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins. It may cause you to think, you know, I haven't been as close to God as I really need to be. And I've sinned and I've done things that are wrong and folks know that and I need to repent of that and I need the prayers of the church. That may be the case. There are some things that we always need to remember in times that are troubled but also in times that are, 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 are great. And some of these things we've spoken about this afternoon. But we need to always remember our relationship with God. How is yours?
Do you need to respond to the Lord's invitation for some reason this afternoon? If so, we'd be glad to pray with you and help you in any way. If not, that's, that's good. But if you need to come, why don't you do it right now? As together we stand, as we sing.